Let's get a different view on all of this. And one of the major conversations this week has been about China. I suppose the question of whether China could or still maybe will dominate BRICS because of the size of its economy. Professor Martin Jacques is the author of the book When China Rules the World. He's a former senior fellow at the University of Cambridge and a visiting professor at Tsinghao University. Professor Jacques, good morning to you and thank you for waking up so early where you are. We here in Santon in South Africa can see how important China is to BRICS. How important is BRICS to China? Well, I think it, it, it's very important, actually, uh, because uh, BRICS offers China a, uh, a different kind of relationship with uh, developing countries. Uh, and, in, and increasingly now, obviously, with its expansion uh, in an institutional form. Uh, so I think that uh, uh, China will regard what's happening at the moment as extremely important. Will it see it as a victory? The expansion is a good thing for China too? I think it's uh, a great thing for the developing world. And China, of course, is still a developing country. Um, it's part of that group of countries after the Second World War that uh, gained independence at the end of uh, colonial rule, in its case, semi-colonial rule. Um, and it's, of course, you know, because of its extraordinary economic development, been in the sort of lead, if you like, of the developing world. When BRICS was just five countries, it, it was sort of obvious that China could dominate it easily. Now, six new countries, including some countries with, you know, quite rich countries, Saudi Arabia. So now China is one of 11 countries. Do you think that issue of will China dominate BRICS sort of recede a little bit? Yes, I do. I think that's a good way of putting it, actually. I mean, the, what, what, the BRICS only worked on a consensus basis when there were just the five members. So that inevitably um, was a, a factor uh, in constraining every member because, you know, you have to reach a decision together. You, it's not, a, you know, one country outvotes another. I think this is very important that BRICS has worked on a consensus principle. If it hadn't worked on a consensus principle, it would not, in my view, probably have survived. Now, when you've got 11 countries, and from the looks of it, it's going to be probably quite a bit more, then it has to work on a consensus basis. And this is extremely important because countries then have to uh, give and take uh, together and uh, respect the importance of uh, a, a consensus organization. Now, there is a very good uh, model for this, actually, which is the ASEAN countries, the 10 countries of uh, Southeast Asia. Indonesia, Malaysia, and so on. And they operate on a consensus basis. They've always operated on a consensus basis. And I think this has been absolutely crucial to the success of ASEAN. So this introduces a new kind of you know, model, if you like, uh, which is a consensus model across continents. Uh, this is a very interesting development. Uh, China's economy, you pointed to how quickly it's grown, and we've all watched that over the last sort of two, three decades. Um, some indications it's slowing down, some of that may be COVID, COVID, some of that may be other longer term issues, actually has quite a high youth unemployment rate. Could it find that BRICS suddenly becomes more important to China simply because it needs more trade? Or to put it another way, we as a BRICS nation as South Africa need as many solar panels as we can get. We have a huge energy crisis here. China produces eight out of ten of the world's solar panels. That could be quite important to China. Yes, I think that uh, China views its relationship with uh, 
not just the BRICS world, but more widely the Belt and Road world, you know, because remember that BRICS is taking place also alongside and in the context of this huge development of Belt and Road, uh, uh, which has been, uh, is now uh, this year 10 years old and has been, in my view, extraordinarily successful. So I think that China's focus actually economically has increasingly shifted in some respects away from the, the, as it were, the advanced world, the West, uh, towards its relationship with the developing world. And I think this is very appropriate because, you know, it's the, the developing world is becoming increasingly uh, 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 not just ha but having a much stronger voice in the world, but in some senses increasingly uh, influential and decisive, I think. I mean, you know, uh, uh, now the developing world accounts for over 60% of the global economy. Uh, if you go back to the mid 70s, it was just one third. Uh, the the uh, West, uh, the, the, the advanced world, as it were, uh, accounts only now for one third of the, of, of the global economy. So this is, if you like, the future. This is a, a vision of the future, which mm. is happening already. It takes us almost straight away to directly to the United Nations Security Council. So the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, he was here yesterday. He said the global governance system must change. As I understand it, China and Russia have now, I think for the first time, said that they would push for change at the United Nations. And at the moment, China is a member of the United Nations Security Council. And that brings with it that veto, which it has exercised. Russia's exercised the veto, so is the United States. Do you think China would give up that veto to reform the council? Would it give up the veto on the Security Council as part of reform? Uh, it's difficult to answer that question. I mean, you're quite right to raise it. That the, 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 the reform of the Security Council is obviously way overdue. Um, I mean, it's stuck in where it was after the Second World War. But actually, how to reform it? Uh, is a complex question and uh, involves differences uh, in uh, amongst countries in the developing world. So uh, I think that uh, this is going to be uh, this is a, this is a tricky issue. But I expect over time it to uh, some kind of reform to take place. I mean, the UN is is only one aspect, of course, of the reform of the governance institutions because the other problem is uh, the is is the IMF. Um, uh, the World Bank and so on. I mean, these institutions are, are really in some fundamental way anachronistic because basically they're just controlled uh, by what is now a minority of the global economy, namely uh, um, the West plus Japan, if you like, but essentially the West. Professor Martin Jacques, thank you very much indeed for your time. Really appreciate it. Author of the book, When China Rules the World, former senior fellow at the University of Cambridge and a visiting professor at Tsinghua University, 25 minutes after 7.